Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're starting a new series. As it says, meaningless, a study through the book of Ecclesiastes. So we're going to be in this book for the next several months, so probably well past Christmas and into the new year. Uh, it's something that God has put on my heart uh, about a month or two ago. Um, you know, I'm always kind of praying and trying to prepare what to preach and what to preach next. And uh, sometimes I have... Uh, what I think uh, I should preach, and then God says differently, and that's one of those cases with this. Uh, our theme for this year has been Thrive, understanding we were made for more. And, and when I started out with that theme that I developed last year, um, I had a different mind or a different goal entirely of what I thought or what I envisioned that theme might entail. And I really realized very quickly within the year as 2019 started that God had different plans uh, for me and for the church. I still believe that's what he had for us, but it's not necessarily the vision that I had and I thought of what it would entail. Uh, so we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 this morning, and really this isn't necessarily an encouraging message this morning. So if you came for an encouraging message, I'm sorry. That's not what this is. I know, David Jackson is leaving right now. Uh, that's not what this is, but I promise you, if you stay with me, over the next several months. Now, we're not going to be here for several months, like day after day after day. But if you stay with me for the next several months, I promise you there's some very important principles and applications we're going to unpack that are really going to be important in your life. And I guarantee you, some of these decisions, they will lead you to decisions. And I, I guarantee you, they can help you with your life, with your family, uh, and just living the life that God has intended you to live. So uh, go ahead and stand if you could. Uh, if you're able to, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're just going to read the first couple verses, but we're going to be uh, in this entire chapter this morning. The words of the preacher or the teacher, uh, the son of David, who the son of David is Solomon. Solomon is the primary author of the book of Ecclesiastes. King in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This word vanity in the Hebrew, which the Old Testament was written in, is the word hevel. Uh, basically means meaningless, pointless, breath, nothing. There is uh, no point to it at all. What profit hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. Back to verse number two. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So let me give a quick synopsis. Now, this is in some way the message this morning, but don't leave after I give the synopsis. There's still a lot to unpack. This morning, but the synopsis of this message of this first chapter and really chapter two is this everything is meaningless. Great message, right? Everything is meaningless. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. And God, I pray that you'd help us as we unpack this great book, this great book of wisdom, of literature, as Solomon, a man who had everything in the world's eyes, is writing this to us and trying to encourage his son and really trying to encourage us as well to understand the true meaning of life. And I know it's something that many of us struggle with, trying to find our purpose, trying to find our significance in this life. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning as we 
start digging in in chapter one, and really chapter one is really just setting the stage of what's to come. But God, I pray that you'd help me to give me the words that I need to speak to those that are here today. Thank you so much for those that are here. I pray that you'd bless. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. How many have a kid that likes to be first at everything? Anyone? Anyone? All right. Very good. I'm glad I am not alone. Uh, Our five-and-a-half-year-old Nate thought about bringing him up here today, but it would just been a bad thing. He's going through that phase in life where he has to be first at everything. Uh, and it's, it's, in some ways, it's great. And in other ways, it's very, very annoying. Um, he, he does it so much to the extent of he pushes his little brother, his two-and-a-half-year-old brother, which I know that's just going to continue. That's not going to get any better. But he has to push his brother so that he can be first to the table, first to eat, first to finish eating. If they're taking baths, first to a bath. And I think he pushed him the other day, and he fell down and knocked him over. He's like, ah, I'm first. Okay, that's good. I'm glad that he's trying his best. So we've been having conversations with him the past few days and trying to encourage him. Nate, it's, I want you to give your best. But in life, you're not always going to be first. Sometimes you're going to be second. Sometimes you're going to be third. Sometimes you're going to be last. That's okay. It's the lessons that we learn from that. And as I was thinking about Nate, I started thinking about my own life. Has anybody ever gotten a trophy? And I'm not talking about a participation trophy. Has anyone ever gotten a trophy for winning something? Anybody? All right, very good. So some of you know, all right, how many have gotten a participation trophy? All those other people, right? Exactly. (laughs) Justin's one of those people. Um, He was like shyly putting up his hand. Uh, Many of us in here have gotten a trophy, a award, a medal, a plaque. Uh, I was reviewing last night the message, and uh, I started thinking of something. Uh, Several months ago, my parents uh, came uh, down to Texas, and they brought some of my old trophies and uh, medals. Now, some of them are still left at home in the attic, and who knows where they are. Uh, but I started pulling them out, which is, I have them up here today. I've got a lot of different props and stuff like that. We're going to do a spin class later, so hopefully you guys are ready for that and prepared and uh, ready to go. Um, well, actually, you're just going to watch me do a spin class or whatever. Anyway, um, so it's not anybody's birthday or whatever. This is just the bag that my mom gave. Uh, so my mom had put some of, some of my trophies memorabilia into a, a bag, and she gave it to me. And I was pulling them out last night looking at them. I was like, man, that's, that's pretty awesome. Like, Center Grove Little League Single A Division Tourney Champions, 1992. I mean, this is worth something right here. I mean, at least 15 cents, at least, you know. Um, got another one. Well, actually, I got this one because these two, oops, these two go together. Uh, one's the uh, division, division tourney champions, and one's just the division champion. So we had a great year that year. I'm sure it was all to do with me, um, for sure. Uh, this one was uh, 1993, runner-up. You know, we didn't win, but, you know, we still got a trophy. I've got a couple of those participation awards, you know, for T-ball. Hey, congratulations. <laughs> Throw it away. Throw it in the baptistry, whatever. Uh, I got one for basketball. Uh, I got a lot of stuff in here. And then uh, I got some plaques in here as well. Um, you know, I don't know, I don't know which one I like better, the plaque, the trophy, the, the medal, the ribbon, whatever. Ribbons just got thrown away half the time. Um, but I love, I love sports, as many of you guys know, and I love to play basketball. Uh, back when my body could actually allow me to play basketball, but I love to play basketball in my senior year of high school. A lot of times, and I know a lot of schools still do this, they have an awards banquet at the end of the year. Um, and the awards banquet at the end of the year, you know, they give prizes, awards, medals, whatever, for for the most valuable player of the team, the most improved player, six-man award, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so we typically had three awards at our banquets that we gave away. 
Uh, typically, it was uh, that most valuable player, so the one that really just stood out um, in, in their uh, pursuit of playing or whatever it is. And then we had that most improved player, the one that really improved over the year. And then we had that Christian character award, because I went to a Christian school, and that was really, you know, the kid that was on the end of the bench that never played, uh, but he was encouraging everyone else to play, because that's the only way that I realized that you can have Christian character, because you're not playing the game, and you're not going to lose your, your temper and everything like that. Anyway, beside the point. Um, but one year, I think it was my senior year, and I don't know why they did this as a Christian school, they decided to go away from those awards. Instead of having a MVP, which is the most valuable player, or most improved player, or Christian character, they decided to get all biblical. And what I mean is, like, they named it after a person in the Bible. Now, as a senior in high school, I'm like, man, that's awesome. No, I'm not like that at all. I'm like, I don't, I don't want an award after, like, David, or Paul, or Timothy, or whatever. Like, because, like, you know, your friends will be like, hey, what, what award did you get? I got the Paul Award, man. It's pretty awesome. And I say that because my senior year in basketball... That's the award I got, the Paul Award. This is awesome. Now, I was thinking about it last night, and actually, it actually means something more to me today than it did 15, 16 years ago. But I'm like, why would I want a Paul Award? I'd rather be the MVP, and one year I think I got uh, the David Award. I think it might have been the same year for soccer or whatever. You know, I've got some other things, all-conference, first team, second team, different things like that. And I started realizing, though, All of those things have basically been in my parents' garage or attic for the past 15 plus years. Anybody else have things like that? I mean, you might initially have a trophy case and you're displaying them, but eventually they just kind of collect dust and, you know, they're they're really, in a sense, meaningless. Now, does it mean that we shouldn't try our best to try to win some of these awards? No, that's that's not what it means. It's not what what I'm saying today, but I started thinking about it. Oh, man, I almost dropped the Paul Award. That would have been bad. I started thinking about it. You know, I, I, I lived my life as, as a kid, as a teenager, trying to earn accolades like that. And here I am at 35 years old. I know I look you know, much older than that. But here I am at 35 years old, and I realized that all of those things are pointless. They're not adding any value to my life. I can't take this to a pawn shop and, hey, I need $1,000. What do you give me for a Center Grove Little League Single-A Division champion 1992? (laughs) They'd be like, uh, get out of here. I'll give you nothing. Uh, They're not going to give me anything. But how often in our lives are we trying to validate our life based on worthless accolades? Pastor, are you saying that we shouldn't try? We shouldn't do our best? We shouldn't be in sports? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what this message is about. But I was thinking about that last night in correlation with the message today. And here we have Solomon, who is the author of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon, for those that might not know, he's the, he was the king of Israel. He was the son of David. After David passed on the scene, God had spoken to Solomon and said, Hey, anything you desire, I will give it to you. Anybody know what Solomon asked for? Wisdom. He asked for wisdom. He was young. He didn't necessarily know how to lead. He could have asked for power and wealth and prestige and all of those other things, but he asked for wisdom. And because of that, God gave him power and wealth and prestige and all kinds of other things in his life. And when you try to figure out just how much uh, Solomon had, it's, it's hard to, to, to put it into a dollar amount, but 
I was looking just, just briefly last night on the internet, and, and some suggest that his net worth was well north of $2 trillion. That's a decent amount of money. I'd like to see a tie check on $2 trillion. But anyway, it's beside the point. Um, <laughs> but $2 trillion, that's a lot of money. Uh, I mean, I, I can't even think of someone that has $2 million. To me, that seems absurd. Sometimes that seems like mind-blowing. But $2 trillion. So here is a man that literally has everything, anything that he wants. And that's why I think this book is so valuable to us. Because it's not written from the perspective of someone that has nothing and saying, you know what, I have nothing and life is just worthless. No, here's a man that has everything and he's saying everything that I have is pointless. It's worthless. It's meaningless. You see, Solomon spent his life trying to gain, but he found that he was actually losing. He found that all of the gain that he had wasn't actually doing anything for him. And the, the, the primary passage here in chapter 1, 2, really 3, 4, and 5 is all about life under the sun. And when he says life under the sun, he's talking about life here on this earth. Life under the sun is meaningless. All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed today, okay? Great message, right? Life is meaningless. Under the sun, apart from God, life is meaningless. It's waste, it's pointless, it's unfulfilling. You ever felt unfulfilled in your life? I have many times. You ever felt unsatisfied? Yes, I think all of us have. And what our culture tells us to do when you feel unfulfilled or unsatisfied is go get something else, right? You go get something else and it's going to satisfy you. You think about it in a relationship. If you're in a relationship or you've ever been in a relationship that wasn't satisfying, what happens? You ditch that person, you go get someone else. Now, sometimes that can be helpful because it was an unhealthy relationship, but what I've seen a lot of times just in America, we're in America in Texas, What I've seen a lot of times is someone is ditching something because they're not satisfied, hoping that this will bring them satisfaction. And then that doesn't bring them satisfaction, so they ditch that for this and that, and then it's a never-ending cycle, right? We're never satisfied. We have a house, and that's that's not good enough. It's not big enough, so we need a bigger house. Then we get to the place where that's too big, and we need a smaller house. It's a vicious, repetitive cycle. And that's really what Solomon is saying here, that life is that monotonous cycle. You know, if Solomon wanted it, he took it. He had money and land and security and sex and power and pleasure, prestige. He basically lived his life with no rules. Now, I think sometimes people think, man, if I just had no rules in my life, things would be great. Solomon was that guy, and he's telling us life isn't that great. But I want you to get this. This is very important. I don't know if it's in your notes or not, and really doesn't matter if it is, just pay attention. People try to find satisfaction in created things rather than the creator. They seek satisfaction in anything or anyone other than God, and when they do that, it's idolatry. I think sometimes we think of a wrong picture of idolatry. It's actually bowing down and worshiping, you know, some image. Idolatry is not necessarily that. Idolatry is putting something above God. And Solomon 
is, for all intents and purposes, an idolater. Because it's a man that had everything, but nothing was enough. Now, he had a lot of wisdom. He wrote a lot of songs and a lot of proverbs. I think over 1,000 songs and uh, over 3,000 proverbs. Very wise, very intellectual. But he was always chasing something else. The Bible says that he had a thousand women, like 300 wives and 700 concubines or vice versa. I don't even want to get into that. But obviously, that wasn't enough. I mean, one wasn't enough, and, and I'm not trying to be crass today, but I was you know, thinking about it. He probably, in a sense, had a smorgasbord of women. Because let's try this type of woman. Let's try this type of woman. Let's try this type of woman. So he tried it all. And you know what he's telling us at the end of his life? I tried it all. It's meaningless. It's pointless. Look, it's not that pleasure and money and stuff and sex or success are bad things in and of themselves, but when they become the ultimate thing to us, they let us down. And we can be here all day talking about things that are meaningless. And honestly, we can put religion in that category. Because religion in and of itself is meaningless. I can't believe a pastor would say that. Well, it is. Apart from a relationship with God, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, religion is meaningless. Just because you come to church doesn't mean anything. I honestly, maybe it'll sound bad, but I wish people wouldn't come to church if they weren't all about God. Because really all it does is actually hurt the church because they're more about themselves than they are about God and their relationship with Jesus Christ. And this vanity, this vexation of the spirit that is mentioned over and over throughout this chapter and throughout this book that Solomon is talking about is describing a couple things. Things that are pointless, things that are meaningless, and things that are unfulfilling. This this book is dealing with a man that is on an identity quest, if you will. He's searching for his identity. He's searching for value and joy and satisfaction And I think about him and I think about my own life because there's been countless times in my life where I'm searching for something. I'm searching for satisfaction. I'm searching for fulfillment. I'm searching it in another plaque or trophy or ribbon. I'm searching it for things that aren't bad in and of themselves but are never meant to bring fulfillment. You know, when I won these trophies, I think back that, man, I... I was excited for a couple days or a couple weeks, but after, after you know, a couple months and a year, I was like, who cares? I love sports, and I, I love different things, and you know, right now I, I love to golf, as many of you know. I haven't played as much this year just because of a lot of different reasons, busyness of schedule and different things like that, but uh, you know, one thing with golf, there's always, you know, like any, any sport, you're always trying to improve upon how you perform. You're always trying to get better and you think of golf, you know, it's trying to break 100, then trying to break 90, then 80, and then, you know, once, once you get better and you're in the 70s, you're trying to break 70. That's like the ideal thing. And that, that was like my goal for years. And I, I'd have to break 70. That's going to bring validation to my life. And I moved here back in 2015, into 2015. And uh, 2016, actually, for the, first, for the first time, I broke 70. I shot a 69. It was awesome. I was three under par. Amazing round. But you know what? It didn't validate me. Because a couple days later, I'm like, all right, what's next? Anyone been there? Maybe not in golf, but in something else. Oh, I just got a raise. I got $15 more an hour. That's awesome. A couple months go by, I, I, I really needed 16 I needed 25 
And there's a couple principles that we're going to unpack this morning that Solomon is giving us. And the first thing is this. The, the title of the message is Everything is Meaningless, dot, dot, dot. And here's why. Because all our activity is pointless. Again, I know it's an encouraging message this morning. But look at verse number three. What profit or advantage or gain, whatever word you want to throw in there, what profit, advantage, gain hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? What gain do you have by just working and working and working? Oh, man, this is awesome. So the pastor's saying, I don't have to work at all. It's not what I'm saying. Let's, let's just say, say that right now. But what profit, what advantage, what gain hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? And the next several verses, verses 4 through 6, are really talking about the cycles of life, the cycles of earth. But this phrase, under the sun, is found some 30 times in this book. And what it's telling us is that Solomon has, looking, has been looking for the answer to this question of what profit, what gain does a man have of all the labor of his life? So he's trying to answer this question, get this, from an earthly perspective. Tim Keller, pastor, he, he points out that the author is pushing us to a logical conclusion of our position, exposing any philosophy that would seek to live life without God as the ultimate foundation. Here's the question that we ask in our life at times. What's in it for me? You ever ask that question? Suppose I were to, to say, all right, I want everyone to show up tomorrow at 5 a.m. You'd be like, all right, I'll be there. Probably not. Most, most of you would probably be asking a question of why, right? Hey, I want you to be here at 5 o'clock in the morning. Why? No, I, I just want you to be here at 5 o'clock. Well, what's the purpose of it? What am I going to be doing? Uh, do I need to bring anything? Uh, is there going to be breakfast? Is there going to be coffee? In a sense, what's in it for me? And you think about this on a grander scale. That's the question of our lives, is it not? What, what's in it for me? Why should I do this? And here's what I mean. The author's point, Solomon's point, is that if life is all there is, then there is no profit to your life. There is no advantage to your life. Why live for anyone but yourself? Why help anyone with anything if you're just going to burn up one day and die and there's nothing after this present life? Look at verse number four. One generation passeth away, another generation cometh. What he's saying is people die, people are born. But the earth abideth forever. The earth remains the same. It's that vicious cycle. People die, people are born. More people die, more people are born. And yet the earth is the same. Jerome, he said one time, what's more vain than this vanity? That the earth, which was made for humans, stays, but humans themselves, the lords of the earth, suddenly dissolve into dust. You ever feel like life is kind of like running on a treadmill? Anybody, like, anybody run on a treadmill? Now, I know treadmills have their purposes, but how many have ever gone somewhere by running on a treadmill? Unless it's like actually on a moving vehicle and you're, you know, that, that'd just be insane. But you run on a treadmill and you get off and man, I've gone somewhere. No, you haven't gone anywhere. You burnt some calories and you got a good sweat up and everything like that. You might lose some pounds and that, that's good. 
uh, I think of, you know, our, having two, two small boys, you know, we watch a lot of those kids' movies, and uh, The Secret Life of Pets, the hamster on it. Uh, he's on that, 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 that hamster wheel. I run, and I run, and I run, and I get off, and I've gone nowhere. Nowhere! <laughs> That's what I feel like my life is sometimes, right? Anyone else with me? You feel like you run, and you run, and you run, and you get off, and you go nowhere. And I've, I've got Amanda's bike up here today, and she told me, like, I'm not allowed to break it, but we'll, we'll see. Anyway, so, you know, she uses this sometimes with her training uh, to, when she can't go outside, if it's too hot, too cold, to write, whatever, you know, she just uses it inside uh, to train for certain races and stuff like that. And it, oh man, I can't even use it. But anyway, it's kind of like a treadmill. You know, I, I, could, I could be up here for the rest of the message just, just going away and, and trying to burn some, oh man, my knee is really hurting. But anyway, um, <laughs> trying to burn some calories and, and, and get things going and moving and everything. Then I might get the blood pumping and flowing and, and I might start sweating like I am right now. But if I get off, have I gone anywhere? No. I haven't gone anywhere at all. And that's what Solomon is saying life is like. Let's continue on, verse number five. The sun also ariseth. You ever seen the sun rise? But what happens at the end of the day? The sun goes down. The sun sets. And hasteth to his place where he arose. Verse six. The wind goeth toward the south and turneth about towards the north. It whirleth about continually and the wind returneth again to his circuit. So the wind is just moving around and around and around. Again, we work and work and work and work, and things just seem to be the same. I mean, we all have those uh, plans for our lives and, and goals, but it seems like you know we're always working for the weekend. And the weekend comes, and then we're working for the next weekend, and we're working for the next weekend. We get up every day, and we might make, wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. We might read our Bibles. We might go to the gym. Uh, then we come and get ready for the day, and we go to work, and we wait in line, and and we get through the day, and then we go home, and uh, we eat some food, and we spend some time with our family, and go to bed, and guess what happens the next day? Do it all over again. Anyone ever done laundry? Yeah, a couple of you. All right. So you understand what I'm saying. Uh, as soon as you do a, a huge pile of laundry that you've been waiting for like three weeks to do, you finish it, and you know what happens? Your husband comes in and throws a bunch of dirty clothes in there. That might not happen to you, but it happens to my wife sometimes. Or the kids go outside, and they get dirty. It never stops. Dishes are just as bad. You clean them and all of a sudden there's 15 more in the, in the dishwasher or in the sink. It's a vicious, repetitive cycle. Uh, you cut your hair and then a month later you need it cut. And I know Tasha's uh, thankful for that. Where's she at? There she is. I know she's thankful for that, that people need haircuts. You cut the grass and, and the grass needs cut again and again and again. You pay one bill only to see 10 more coming. It's a vicious cycle. It's great. But here's what, here's what Solomon is saying. All our activity is pointless. This is why people have midlife crises. This is why people have affairs and career shifts, trying to break free from the monotony and dissatisfaction of life. People often think, if I could just have more money, if I could just have more pleasure, more success, then I'd be happy. Well, go ahead and chase it. And tell me if it brings true satisfaction. And I guarantee you, it will not. Because it's just going to leave you wanting more. Verse number seven. All the rivers run into the sea. And this is kind of astounding to me. And I know there's a scientific reason for all this. But you think about all the rivers that we have in this world. They run into the sea. Yet does the sea overflow? No. Again, it just it blows my mind when you think about it. I know there's a scientific reason for it. Yet the sea is not full. 
Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. So really, verse 7 is saying, sometimes we think the grass might be greener on the other side, but it's not always the case. Unless you go to Justin's house, and I promise you, his grass is greener. I've never seen grass that green. I'm literally talking about his green grass that he has in his yard right now. But we think about that. The grass is not always greener on the other side because we get to the other side and like, oh, this is great. But then we see someone else's grass, right? We see someone else's stuff that we have to have, that we have to acquire. And that's kind of what verse 7 is talking about. The grass is always greener, but the sea is never full. It's kind of that rinse and repeat. Well, and I can't wait until... You know, I, I, as a kid, I, I can't wait till I get into junior high, or I can't wait till I get to high school. I can't wait till I drive. Can't wait till I, I get out of high school so I can go to more school. I can't wait until I get married. I can't wait until I start a family and have kids. And then it's like, why did I ever have kids? I can't wait till I give them back. Uh, I, I, um, okay, maybe that's not you, and that's maybe not me. I'm just, you know, for for those that might be it. Um, I think you understand the point. You know, I can't wait for that next promotion. I can't wait for that, uh, that, that next to, uh, the, the house, the, 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 the car, the, the truck, the whatever it is. I can't wait for that next, but there's always a next, right? That vicious cycle of life. And really, here's what we see in verse number eight. All things are full of labor, work. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Here's what verse 8 is saying. Our existence is full of weariness. Our existence is full of weariness. Tirelessly working. We cannot say enough. We cannot hear enough of the gossip. They can't hear enough. They need more gossip. Some people, they can't see enough. You think of those that struggle with what they see in addictions. and You think of even uh, pornography. One picture is not enough. It leads to another picture, another picture, another video, and another video. Because the eye is never satisfied. The ear is never satisfied. The mouth is never satisfied. And that's what Solomon is saying. Our existence is full of weariness. Verse number 9. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun is Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall uh, there be remembrance of the things which to come. Those they shall come after. So what he's saying is this. Under the sun, nothing ever changes because nothing ever validates. Under the sun, nothing ever changes. The laws of nature remain the same in Solomon's day as they do in our day. Nothing truly ever changes. But, but Pastor, we have a lot of advancements of technology. Okay, that's nice, but, you know, even think about that. I mean, what more can they do with some of those things? It's really, here's what I mean. We're seeking validation in things that aren't, aren't meant to validate. You think of phones. My phone is a couple years old, and, you know, Eaton's not in here, so I can't, you know, rip him about the whole Apple Android thing, but... Anyway, isn't this what we do? You know, we want to get a new phone, and man, look at me. I've got the iPhone 58 Plus Pro XRL 13. has 48 cameras on the back. It's awesome. Again, I'm not talking about anyone in particular today. I'm just saying it, okay? I'm just saying. I don't know why you guys are laughing, but, you know, don't we do that? You know, we, we've got a new phone, and, you know, it's not ringing, but all of a sudden, you know, we're around people, and we've got to pull it out just to check the, you know, 
check the time, even though we have a watch. Oh, man, I got you. You got a new phone? That's awesome. Let me, let me see all those 14 cameras. <laughs> let me see the picture that it takes, because it's got to be better than the last camera. Yeah, I can see just a little bit clearer from that phone than I could on that phone. Uh, Brother Mike was telling us yesterday that uh, he met a guy that uh, still takes pictures. He's, he's a professional photographer, but he uses a DSLR camera, but he also uses an old Samsung S5. And he, he was showing the pictures, and he said the pictures were amazing because you can you know, rework the apertures and everything like that to figure it out. So again, there's always that next best thing, right? But Solomon is saying it, it's not going to validate anything. It's not going to bring happiness and success. So if you know someone like that that's not in here today, you can help them with that later <laughs> if you'd like to. You can take it for whoever you think I'm talking about. But under the sun, nothing ever changes because nothing ever validates. The fundamental laws of nature remain the same. People are born. People get married. People have a family. They work. They die. Same as in Solomon's day. There is no remembrance of the former things. And, and this is sad when, when people pass on. And now I know we remember them, but let's, let's give an illustration, give an example. How many know the name of your great-great-grandpa? Anybody? Right, we've got a few people. But you look around at the entirety of the audience. There's four or five people that know the name of their great-great-grandpa. It proves Solomon's point that the former things, they passed away and... People don't talk about it. You know the people in your life right now. And I know we have statues and remembrances of these things, but I don't know the name of my great-great-grandpa because I haven't done studies and this and that because the former things pass away. And that's what Solomon is saying. There's no remembrance of the former things. It's this vicious, repetitive cycle. All of our activity is pointless. But then he moves on. Let's continue. It gets even more encouraging. Just wait. Verse number 12. I, the preacher was king over Israel. I mean, this is a prestigious position, king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under the sun. The sword travail hath God given to the sons of men to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. I acquired everything that I could. Verse 15, that which is crooked cannot be made straight. That which is wanting cannot be numbered. I, can, I, I commune with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to, to a great estate and have gotten more wisdom. I have all kinds of wisdom. I got more wisdom. I went to school for, for more degrees. And you, you know, some people that, that keep going to school for more degrees and more degrees and more degrees, but it's never satisfying. I have more knowledge and wisdom than anyone on this earth. That's what he's saying. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of the Spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief. <laughs> and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Here's what he's saying, secondly. Not only is all activity pointless, but nothing satisfies. You encouraged that? Good. Nothing satisfies. You know, many in here have felt unsatisfied and unfulfilled. Well, I've got a recipe for you. We'll go find something else. As I said earlier, but it's not going to satisfy. Go find a new soulmate. Go find a new job. But it's not going to satisfy. You see, all we're doing is chasing the wind. 
Imagine if you drove in today and there was someone in the parking lot with a big net trying to catch the wind. Wouldn't you be like, man, this guy's got it all together. I'm going to this church. I could name an individual that probably would do that. I don't think he's here today because he's got a split personality. But anyway, some of you know who I might be referring to. But imagine you see someone out there with a giant net trying to chase after the wind and catch the wind. You're like, what's this lunatic doing? (laughs) What's this guy doing? You can't catch the wind. But that's what Solomon is saying. That's what we're doing with our life. I meant to bring a bubble machine and and, blow bubbles in here, but I forgot it. So imagine trying to catch bubbles, but what happens once you catch them? They pop, they're gone. And that's our life. We're, we're chasing after the next thing that's going to satisfy, that's going to bring satisfaction, the next medal, the, the next race, whatever it is. And again, those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but they are not meant to bring satisfaction. And that's what Solomon is saying here. Verse 14, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity, all is pointless, all is vexation of the Spirit. You see, our desires are never satiated, which means they are never satisfied. Verse 15, that which is crooked cannot be made straight. This is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for sin and moral brokenness. Why is the world a broken state? Because of sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and so death passed upon all men for all of sin. Because sin came into the world, sin brought a curse with it. And we are constantly trying to break the curse and break the curse of unsatisfaction and unfulfillment, trying to chase after the wind and chase after the next thing. But I'm here to tell you, as Solomon has already told us, it's not going to satisfy We try to find ways out of our brokenness, but it only ends up making us more broken, more frustrated. Alistair Begg, he pointed out, we are trying to line up the squares of a Rubik's Cube with a couple of colors missing. That would be frustrating, wouldn't it? But that's what we do with our life. And that's what Solomon is saying in this closing chapter, the closing portion of this chapter. I tried it all. I tried the foolish way, and I tried the wise way, and it's still... Vanity and vexation of the spirit. It's still meaningless. It's pointless. And this chapter leaves us hanging, and it's meant to because it's just a continuation of what is to come. It's really setting the stage for some principles that will be unlocked over the next several weeks. But nothing under the sun can deeply satisfy us. Every temporal thing that we pursue only leaves our souls more sick and unfulfilled. Earthly pursuits that promise a better life only bring living death. The very things that seem to offer satisfaction bring us desperation. Go ahead and chase the wind and see where it gets you. Solomon had it all, yet had nothing. And he's driving us in this passage and in the passages to come of really two simple conclusions. Either there is a God... And everything has meaning, or there is no God, and everything is pointless. And it's the same decisions that we must make in our own life. Either there is a God, and I must live my life for him, for his purposes, for his glory, or there is no God, and I'm going to live for myself. But friends, we can't straddle the fence. And yet so many people, individuals, Christians, straddle the fence. They believe there's a God, 
but they don't fully live for him. I'm not going to go all in. I'm not going to go all in for God. I'm going to go all in for myself. I'm going to try to gain everything I can. I'm going to try to have more land and more horses and more cattle and, and more toys because that's what brings satisfaction. And so the guy at the bank is trying to collect the money. <laughs> yeah, tell me if it satisfies. You see, if life is pointless, then why work for anything? Why would people, think about this, those that aren't saved, why would people work for equality and justice for all and work for a common good if there is no point to this life at all? If we're just going to burn up one day? I'll tell you why. Because deep within the human heart, we're made for more. Deep within the human heart, there's a vacuum of, of, of a sorts that is trying to lead us and draw us to our Savior. Trying to draw us to God but people, they don't understand that. They're chasing after things and, and they're, they're thinking money or, or sex or pleasure or, or whatever is going to satisfy. But they don't realize that the only true satisfaction comes from God. Comes from our Heavenly Father. Comes from a relationship with Him. Isn't it sad that we have but one life and yet we spend our lives tired and unfulfilled? We spend it anxious and overwhelmed, and we're going to get to those points and principles in the next few weeks. We fall into the same traps as Solomon. And I think the question that we must ask ourselves is this. How do we want to finish our life? Fast forward to what you think the end of your life is. What are you going to be chasing after? What ship are you waiting to come in until things just you know, get better? If I just, yeah, I thought about this when I was younger. Man, if I can't wait until I make like $10,000 a year. I'm going to be set for life. <laughs> Didn't happen. Can't wait until I make $20,000 or, or $50,000 or $100,000. I haven't even reached some of those goals yet. But can't wait until I re reach certain things because then things are going to be better. But it's not. More money doesn't bring more satisfaction. Sometimes it brings more bills because, oh, I have more money now so I can buy more things. And that's going to satisfy me. Look, that's not what you were made for. Will you spend your days chasing rivers that will never fill the ocean of your soul? Will you give yourself to folly, to foolishness, and self-gratification only to feel it close up on you like a mountain of regret? Or will you make a different decision? You see, many of us here today are stuck in a monotonous prison where nothing really changes. And the only way to live a meaningful life in this meaningless existence is to find satisfaction and contentment in what God has given us. Partial satisfaction and temporal fulfillment is the best you can hope for under the sun. And I know this message seems discouraging because our souls are sick, they're desperate, they're searching for something. But I think of what Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Here it is, the simple yet wonderful answer for our sick souls is Jesus. Not another boat. Not another car. Not another gun. It's not more golf clubs. It's not whatever. It's Jesus. And until we get this through our thick skulls, we're just going to be chasing the wind. 
Because the sun comes up and the sun goes down every day. The wind blows around and it comes back to where it started. The rivers pour into the ocean, yet it's never full. And that's what happens with our soul. We're trying to feed it with something that's never going to satisfy because nothing can satisfy outside of Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. You see, immersing ourselves in the gospel of grace is what provides true freedom. Because Jesus, as it says in Psalm 23, he's that good shepherd that restores our soul. He's the one that leads us to greener pastures, even greener than Justin's yard. And still waters. He invites us to rest. Get this, all of this meaninglessness is meant to do one important thing, drive us to Jesus Christ. And the good news is that Jesus lived a life that we could never live. He died a death that we deserve to die. He took on the curse of sin and futility and death on himself in order to redeem us from the curse. Talks about that in Galatians chapter 3. And by repenting of our sin and turning to him, here's what he does. He redeems us and gives us a new and meaningful life. You know, Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. But I beg to differ. Because when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he brought something new. He brought hope. He brought salvation. He brought restoration. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. What's new under the sun is a relationship with Jesus Christ, what we were meant for. And there might be some here today that have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the only thing that will satisfy. He is the only thing, the only one that will bring fulfillment and meaning to your life. Anything and everything else will not bring meaning because it was never meant to bring meaning. Only Jesus can. And some of you here today need to come to the decision of, I need to forget all of this other stuff and give my life to Jesus Christ. I need to realize that my life is fleeting, it's futile. I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow. We know that with recent events in this church. Our life is not promised, is it? We don't know if we're going to live another hour, another day, another second. So why are we living our lives for ourselves instead of for our Savior? We can only truly rest when we realize that we don't have to save ourselves. We don't have to sustain ourselves. And when we realize that, we don't have to solve our own problems. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the only source of real life and satisfaction. Nothing else, no one else can give you what your heart craves. And I was thinking about that in this series. This series is a really a kind of a true turning point series in our church. And what I mean is this. If we truly grasp what we need to grasp over the next several months, it's going to turn us away from the wind, away from this life under the sun, and life above the sun. A life dedicated toward Jesus. I'm not interested in more people coming to this church I'm interested in more people coming to this church and having a desire to grow. Having a desire to live 
above the sun in a sense. To live for Jesus and not live for themselves. Augustine once declared, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And that's what it comes down to. Your heart will always be restless until you rest in Jesus. Well, I've tried Jesus. It didn't work. It's not about trying Jesus. It's about giving your life to Jesus. It's about giving your all to Jesus. It's about going all in. But what if God calls me away to Africa? He may. Testimony to that. But that's okay. Because a life lived for Jesus is more fulfilling than a life lived for self. We're chasing after things that will not satisfy because only Jesus satisfies. And here's the core truth of this message as we close out this morning. Everything is meaningless without Jesus. Because Jesus leads to a life that is meaningful. He helps us understand what it means to thrive. If you're here today and you never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'd like to encourage you to make that decision today. You can come at the altar and the invitation here in just a minute. You can pray in your seat. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Ask God to come in your heart and be your Savior. I encourage you to make that decision before it's too late if you're not saved because we're not promised anything. And for those that do know Christ as your Savior, how much more do you need until you realize that Jesus is all you need? As I said, this has the power to be a turning point series if we can get it, if we can grasp that nothing under the sun will satisfy. Only thing that will satisfy is living life for Jesus.